Good morning, City Church Whitstable. Good morning, City Church Canterbury. Great to be with you. And today we are going to start a little three-part series called Stand By Me. And uh, it's got a very simple aim and probably have a very practical feel to it. And uh, when we use that word discipleship, we as a church, I guess, have quite a specific um, a, a quite a specific model in our minds. And it's basically this. To be a disciple in very simple terms is to be someone who follows Jesus. And Jesus used at least three different kind of size contexts in which to make disciples. So he had his big gathering, 72, a bit like Sunday mornings. He also had his medium-sized one, his 12, a bit like small groups. But what is so often overlooked in the church in the UK is that small, intimate discipleship level that he modelled with his three, Peter, James and John, who are part of the 12. And in fact, you probably know, within that three, there was even one more level of intimacy with a guy called John. And what we want to do over these next three weeks is just really bring this model, this forgotten model, I think, in many churches, which just focus on the Sunday and the small group, And we believe passionately as an eldership that actually, if Jesus saw fit to model not just two models of discipleship, but actually three, an intimate thing that would lead to following after him, then we need to be those that humbly say, yeah, we need to make sure this is a part of our lives too. And when we think about the fact that we as a church often will use the phrase, we have a passion to, to make sure that everyone is both discipled by someone and also at times discipling someone else. I want us to be really clear actually what we mean by that. It may be that you're not a Christian. And so actually discipleship is going from unbelief to believing. But it doesn't stop there. There's a, a second whole wonderful side to discipleship, growing and following Jesus, which is then from early belief into ever increasing maturity. And I think for so many of us as Christians, we kind of think, well, I want to be more passionate. I want to grow. I want to do it. But there's something missing in my life. I don't feel like I'm actually progressing in the ways that God wants for me. And if that's you, I, I think this little series might be really, really helpful. So I'm going to pray. And then we're just going to look at three very simple questions, what it is, why it's important. And then I'm just going to, to be honest with you, be very practical and specific and provide a little bit of a model um, as to how I found myself over 10 or 15 years discipling guys. And then my wife, Josie, is going to jump up and share also uh, about how she's found herself practically both being discipled by others, but also at times discipling other people. Father, we love you. We thank you that your words change us. Your spirit, he is the one that brings conviction and joy. And Holy Spirit... We want to ask for your wonderful presence in this room right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you've got a Bible, turn to the book of Matthew and chapter 28. Matthew 28, and we're going to read from verse 16. And the context is important that you realize. Um, this guy, Jesus, he's, uh, he's died and uh, he's then come back from the dead. So, just to state the obvious, if there was a previously dead man about to talk to you, you would probably listen up, be fairly attentive as to what is he going to say, because you probably haven't met too many people who have died and then come back from the dead. He is someone we need to listen to. He says here, verse 16, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's saying more than what your parents think or your peers think or what the telly says, more than even what your president says or your prime minister, all authority on planet earth and in heaven, you're looking at him, is what he's saying. And I've just proved it by dying on a cross and coming back from the dead. So what he's about to say next It's fairly important. He's building the tension. He's building the scene so that his disciples would have been like, what on earth is he going to say now? He's using this massive phrase. And look at these words he says here in verse 19. 
Go, therefore, and make disciples. Go and make. Go and make. He gives two very clear, active words. Go and make disciples. So first of all, then, what is discipleship? What does Jesus mean? To be a disciple is a bit of an unusual word, but it just means really a follower of someone, in this case, Jesus. Not a church attender, not a convert, not even a member. A disciple is a humble learner till the day we die. It is someone who, in posture of their heart and in outward action, is someone who is regularly changing by the grace of God. It's someone who is the opposite to what you see often challenged in the New Testament. Often Paul, who wrote lots of the New Testament, or other guys, they'll say things like, in the churches, I see that you become arrogant, you become insubordinate, you become rebellious, you're anti-authority. And what he's getting at is, is you're losing your discipleship posture. The posture of a disciple is a learner. Big L plate. So you might be 90 years old, but a true disciple is someone who's learning ultimately from Jesus, but also from those around them that they are seeing as further ahead in some way. So a disciple is a learner, but we see this word here, make, and I love it. You're going to make disciples. You make a cake, okay? You make, I don't know, a painting. You, to, to make something requires work. The only person who ultimately makes any disciple is Jesus. So breathe a big fat sigh of relief. It says in 1 Corinthians 12, we can only cry, Jesus is Lord. How? By the Holy Spirit. So everyone just go, you, you can't make anyone become a Christian and you can't make anyone grow in their Christian faith. Wow, that's great. So what did Jesus mean when he said, go and make disciples then? What he was saying was this, is that every Christian has the mighty privilege and responsibility of partnering, small p, but still partnering with God in making disciples. What that means is, is for those of you who, you've got friends who don't know Christ, it's influencing them, loving them, being open to talk about the true King Jesus and hopefully seeing them go from unbelief to belief. But also, then, when that happens, then seeing them grow and grow and go from early belief into ever-increasing maturity as a Christian. So we partner with God, is what the Bible says. But this is the key thing. How? What is the model that God's given us in order to make these disciples? As I've already said, Jesus modeled it. There was the 72, the big There was the medium, the small group, and there was the intimate. There was the three. Jesus himself modeled the fact that the only way that disciples truly get made is through intentionally opening up your life. Peter, James, and John were were, were open to Jesus and had an intimacy with Jesus. There was a, a special dynamic that the Bible tells us. And as Christians, the way that God has, has, has given us, the model that we can often miss that he wants us to recapture is being those who open our lives up in small intimate settings, maybe within your small group or with those that you trust, both on one-on-one like Jesus and John, but also in that small intimate setting so that you become someone who increasingly becomes like Jesus. So the model then, the way that we become those who are like Christ It's not just through the big and the medium, but through the small. So why is this important? I hear you cry. Why is this whole thing of the three, the Peter, James, why is that important? I'll tell you why it's important. Because of verse 20. We've just read verse 19, yeah? And he said, go and make disciples of all nations. And you could, it could be quite a general thing. What's a disciple? Well, it's a learner. But look what he says in verse 20. He says this. He defines what a disciple is. He says, teaching them, that's the people you're discipling, to observe some of what I've taught. Oh, oh no, it didn't, didn't say that. To observe all. Can we say that? One, two, three. All. Do you think Jesus made a mistake there? 
Maybe maybe he just got a bit carried away. He was a bit kind of excited. You know, he's just come back from the dead. You could understand it. And, and you know, he's just kind of getting a bit carried. No, no, no. He's saying, listen, my passion and my definition of what it is to follow me is not someone who just comes occasionally to a school hall or twice a month I go to somewhere. It is someone who observes all that I have taught. So Jesus' expectations were massive. And when you look in the New Testament about what it is to be a follower of Christ, I mean, I just want to say this. I hope I model weakness. I do my very best to regularly talk about weakness and failure and getting it wrong because that is who I am. And I do make mistakes all the time. But the problem sometimes can be that we use that as an excuse to never actually grow more and more into Christlikeness. Jesus said, I I want people who will, they will observe everything I've taught them. They will do everything I've taught them. That's why he says, you are the salt of the earth. Salt is very distinctive. We should be those that, oh, when people taste us, there's, oh, you're the fragrance of life. Your identity is not just like everyone else. You are radically different. You are a new creation. You were once like a hamster and now you're like a giraffe. You were, com- you were completely different. He says you're a temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. He says you're an alien. You're a stranger. When I think of an alien, I think of like E.T. You know, he's, he's saying you are so, so different. He says things like, you know, he says, how often should we, how often should we pray? He says, yeah, pray all the time. Pray without ceasing. What? How often should we forgive? Yeah, 70 times 7, code for always. Do everything without grumbling and complaining, Philippians. Why? So that in a crooked and depraved generation, you would shine like stars. Do you see, when you read the New Testament, you get this sense of what does Jesus mean by a disciple? It's someone who observes all that he has taught. It is someone who is radically different to this world. Radically different. Jesus just summarizes it in the, in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, be perfect. Like your Father in heaven is perfect. So Jesus' expectations are not a mistake. He wants Christians who are profoundly different to the world around them. And can I just humbly say this? I know you'll agree with me. Don't you think this nation desperately needs to see Christians who are radically different? Don't you believe that? You see, I think most non-Christians, if you say, what do you think of Christians? They're either go, oh, they're kind of against lots of things. They're kind of cross with everyone. Or, you know, they're moral and they smile and they kind of go to church. Or sometimes they go, oh, yeah, they're just like me. Yeah, yeah, they basically spend just as much time on Facebook or, you know, their priorities are exactly like me. And both of those are not good. What the Bible wants is humble radically different men and women. Jesus changed the world through 12 people. We've got a church of four to 500 people, but it's possible that if we're not actually disciples, if we're not actually those who are genuinely different, we could just be very, very wide and have no depth, no impact, no saltiness. And so this is why I believe this model of the three, this model of the intimate is so profound because I want to say this. If Jesus modeled the fact that the only way we're going to ever become genuinely Christ-like is through including this element of this level of modelship, then my goodness, we need it as well. If I am ever going to grow in the way that God wants me to be, it's not enough for me to have a big meeting or a a medium size. I'm going to need to seek out those who are spiritually further ahead than me and say, I need your help. Speak into my life. I need it. And that's what we all need is what the Bible says. So I hope in your hearts you're you're kind of clear roughly what we mean when we say discipleship, that whole three intimate thing, one and one within that three. I hope you're also clear in your hearts kind of why it's important because Jesus' expectations are super high and also the world desperately needs to see Christians who are who are just so different. Yes, they make mistakes, but there's something really, really different. And can I be honest with you? When I look at my life, I sometimes get so worried because I think, am I do I seem in a good way actually that different from people other people on Ashford Road where I live? I need all the help I can get. 
And I know you do too. So I want us to spend just a few moments then looking at kind of what it is. Now, I want to say this loud and clear. We are all different. Uh, as you're going to hear over this mini-series, mini in different life stages, discipleship will look different, uh, depending on who's doing it and who's receiving it and all that stuff. But, but in the end, I, most of us find it helpful to have kind of models, particularly um, if you want to be discipled or disciple, to hear how other people do it. How do you, when you get together with someone regularly, how does it work? Often we can have the theology, I know this is important, and then the practice, but what we often need is a model, a way that actually helps us, a how, so that we can be those that get started. So I'm just going to share a few tips. Hopefully, each of you, you can wave these in the air like you just don't care. Has everyone got one of these kind of thick bits of card? Please tell me everyone's got one. These are really, 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 really important. Okay, fantastic. This is, this is a model. It's certainly not the model. It is a model. It's, it's a few tips, really, that I've found really helpful when I've discipled guys. And I'm going to share for a few moments these, and then Josie's going to share her own slightly shorter equivalent. First of all, then, la. So the overall way you can remember it is it just says, let God come. Let God come. So what does that mean? First of all, la. L. So I'm used to having small children. La. Length. I would just say this. Um, there is a disease in this nation called apathy. And you need to do anything you can to inject a sense of urgency into your own life, but certainly the life of those that you may be discipling. So what I mean by this is I always say, if someone says, can, can you disciple me? I'll say, great, I'm up for it. But let's give it six months or nine months or whatever, a year, I know. Give it a time frame and say, and after that, both, you know, bets are off. I'm free if this isn't working to... Uh, to step out, and from your perspective as well. And that way you prevent it just from being this kind of floaty, kind of accountability relationship sort of vague thing that doesn't, you know, the amount of times I talk to someone, they'll be like, how are you doing? They're like, all right. I'm like, who disciples you? And they'll be like, oh, you know, Bob. And I'll be like, okay, how's it going? And it's like, yeah, it's okay. I mean, we met like twice last year, and yeah, it's fine. And he's kind of, you know, vaguely challenge me occasionally. And there's no sense of urgency. Helen Keller, an amazing woman from the past, said, science has, has, has rid the world of many evils, but it has not rid us of the greatest evil, namely apathy. I think just giving it a time length right at the beginning gives it a sense of pace, gives it a sense of significance so that when you do meet, actually, you know this, you may only meet once a month for six months. So you're going to take it seriously. It's not just going to be this kind of vague general thing that kind of floats along. Secondly, encouragement. Encouragement. We live in a world that will drag you down. We have a, a real enemy called Satan who is the father of lies and he's constantly lying to you about the fact that you might have mucked up that week and you feel guilty and therefore you can't worship with authenticity. And, and we just have to understand the primary role, the first role, if I'm discipling someone, is to encourage them. It's about loving them. The language of the New Testament is a family. You have spiritual fathers raising spiritual sons, spiritual mothers raising spiritual daughters. It's beautiful. It's encouraging. I, I, you know, I never stop encouraging Daisy and Lily and Poppy, my gorgeous girls. It's not hard for me. It's because I love them. And so it expresses itself in things like, you know, Lots of text messaging. I, you know, I, I disciple, one of my chief, chief roles is to disciple the elders. So once a week, I meet with one of them. And during the, 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 the month before we've met, I'll be in my little uh, notepad thing, writing down anything that's really good I see them do. I'll, go, I'll save that for when we have a coffee. And anything that not so good, I'll be noting that in as well. And, and, and we'll be, when we meet, my aim is to overwhelmingly encourage and build them up. And, and after we have elders meetings, often, you know, our wives will see this and think it's crazy. We'll text each other. Hey, buddy, just to say, fantastic night. Thanks for cheering us. It's a great meeting, whatever. And, and we're gooey. We love each other because we're, we recognize that in a world which is cynical and sinful and destructive and divisive, the church needs to be a blazing place of unity and encouragement. One person once said to me, yeah, I hear your church is into, uh, you know, discipleship. What system do you use? I was like, system? Um, the Bible? And I love them. 
which sounds a bit oversimple, and as you see, there is a bit of a model, but actually, it's about loving people. So even though I say give it six months or whatever, you know, someone like Roger Eaton, who's church planting into Lille, you know, I've kind of discipled him for about 10 years because just God hasn't given me permission to move on from that. There's a sense of encouragement and love. And I tell you, listen, some of you, if you seek out an older lady, maybe not even physically older, but someone, maybe even a peer, but someone who's spiritually a little bit older, when, when you start to receive regular love and encouragement about who you are and your unique role in the body of Christ and the fact that you are genuinely special and God has great destiny, that changes how you live your life. And it's part of how Jesus worked this whole thing and we just forget about it. And it's so key. Thirdly though, I'd say T for teeth. It needs to have a bit of teeth. And what I mean by that is it's not, you know, good parenting is not just sugarcoating everything and giving our kids loads of like Mars bars. Actually, it's about loving discipline. It's about sometimes saying, I love you so much, but I have to just say this rubbish. Just this, it's just rubbish. You know, and if you are investing heavily in the love tanks, if you're encouraging them and building them up and, and just filling them up with a sense of God's love for them, then it gives you permission to be sometimes a bit challenging. And we need that. We all need that. There's nothing worse than a discipleship relationship where when you meet, there's just no sense of, there's no sense of progression, no sense of that person actually challenging you. I love a lady called Nancy Lane Morris. She says, we have made it an offense to confront people about sin. She said, oh, if we only hated sin as much as we hate confrontation. Oh, that's fantastic. John MacArthur says, it is difficult to receive a rebuke, but it is more difficult to give one. And I think we are in such a culture where we, you know, we think, oh, we should never. Actually, do you know what, guys? We need each other. Love, in a context of love, to have some level of, of teeth, some level of actually progressing and moving forwards. I love Hebrews 3, verse 12 and 13. It's one of my favorites. It says, exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you would be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Okay, fourth thing, G, God. Make it very God-centered. The danger in what I've said is you're trying to think of all these things, and actually you can think, oh, I've got to try and change this person. Or if you're being discipled, you think this person who's discipling me is going to, you know, they're going to change me. No, they're not. It's God. The Holy Spirit, John 15, is the one who convicts us of sin and righteousness and judgment. So what we're aiming to do, listen, when we disciple, we are aiming, the aim is to get that person to see where God is already working in their lives. Because God is always at work. And my job is to say, so you're going through a tough time. Okay, let me ask you, what do you think God might be trying to teach you? What? How have you... How has your view of God changed in this season? How do you think you might approach what God's allowing you to go through? It's to bounce back the whole time. The point of my life is to point to him. It's gloriously releasing. It's never about changing that person. It's about helping them to say, oh, yeah, God is at work. Okay. And constantly be signposted to him saying, this is, and this is what I mean, what I'd say is, therefore, they need to have a flavor of the vertical. It needs to be when you gather, there's talk and there's worship. There's talk, but there's prayer. All the time, leading that person into a place of vertical love for God, knowledge of God, my identity in Christ being the true north, who I am. Understanding that will change you. Fifthly, oh, order. What I mean by that is the order of what you focus on. Often, um, we can come wanting to focus on things like our strengths, or our gifts, my, my role, what I'm good at, or what, what I want to be good at. And, and there's a place for those things. But I think the emphasis on Scripture is character first. What's your heart like? Do you remember that talk I did recently about established hearts versus hearts that have become fattened or impure, sick, hardened, divided, deceived? Those six other alternatives I just gave, they spell the word fished. F-I-S-H-D-D. I'm saying that because it's a little helpful model 
perhaps every time you, you meet, one of your things you could do is say, How's, how are our hearts doing? Are they soft and established, like it says in James? Or have they become a bit impure or sick or hardened? Make it a key element of what you do. But also, of course, when, when the time comes, absolutely focus on spiritual gifts. So my joy often with guys I've discipled, we say, hey, look, you see in 1 Corinthians 12 and in Romans 12, these amazing lists of spiritual gifts, gifts of tongues and interpretation and prophecy and miracles and healing and woo, what should we ask God for? And what we'd do is we would ask God in our private context and then I would say to them, okay, this Sunday I want you near the front and I, wanna, I want you to be expecting to do something. We're going to come and we're going to build up the body. Even if, if even it's just reading out scripture, okay? Even if it's stepping out and doing something. And so there'd be a little army behind me ready to go. And then they would have their guys, their three, that they were discipling behind them. And there'd be this sense of when we gather, because during the week we've been stirring up one another, when we gather, the meetings are just, they're bubbling over with a sense of expectation. D, sixthly, D, direction. So I've learned over time to say to guys, if they say, Tom, can you disciple me? To say, yes, fine, but what is it in me specifically that you see that you would like to grow in? Which feels a bit awkward at first, but actually what it does is it draws out of your time a real specific focus. Um, So I remember one guy saying to me, so Tom, it's actually your kind of prophetic heart. And I thought, have I got one? I didn't know that. It was very encouraging. I just pretend, oh, yes, of course, no problem. And, and, and so we, we particularly focused on practicing the gift of prophecy. And so it may be that you have a particular thing that you see in that person that you think, I want to grow in that aspect. So a guy who really disciples me right now is a guy called Mike Betts, who's an amazing kind of father in the Lord to me. And um, I said, Mike, I want, I want you to know the thing I love most about you is your internal authority. You're not swayed by everyone's opinions and you're just rooted and free from comparison. And I love that about you. I want you to know that and I want you to help me grow in that. So be specific. Or it may be an area of weakness you see in your life. I would say in me, one of my areas of weakness is mission. Yeah, I, I just forget at times of God's compassion for those who don't know Christ. And so I'll seek out time with those who are really strong in this so that they can help me grow and, and, and I can be accountable with them and catch something of their heart for those who don't know Christ. So give it direction. Also then see, uh, you call me. And what I mean by that is this, is that people have to be hungry to grow. If you're not hungry, no one can make you grow in God. No one can. There has to be a hunger. When there was that guy who wanted to follow Jesus, he said, can I just bury my dad? And Jesus said, yeah, let, the, let the dead bury the dead. And he was saying, if you're not that hungry to follow me, then you need to grow in that. John Piper, he said, the key to Christian growth is a hunger for God. And so actually one of the ways we express that, if we are wanting to be discipled, is to be someone who drives in a good way and puts the energy into pursuing those people. If I say to someone, how's your discipleship going? And they go, yeah, we met twice last year, last year or whatever. My, my, I'll be saying to them, hey, listen, why haven't you been prodding them? So I'd say to my guys, every Tuesday morning, I'm in the office, first come, first served. Whoever rings up first can get in and, and looking for a hunger, looking for a hunger. Obviously, there will be times when people who are discipling are going through a tough time. And I'm not saying you don't call, I'm, I'm, you know, of course, there's those times where you express great love and you chase them and you look after them. But I would say Sometimes you can get locked into a relationship where if you're discipling someone forever, you're chasing them and there's just no, there's no actual motivation in them to grow at all. And I think sometimes we need to be those that recognize a hunger for God needs to be honored, actually, and invested in. Also, O, one-on-one. I've talked a lot today about the three, Peter, James, and John, but Jesus particularly invested in John. There was an intimacy with John. And I'm a massive believer that... We need that. We need those specific, regular times where we can be totally honest with someone that we really, really value and respect and and, and just be really accountable in a way that perhaps we wouldn't even be quite as honest in the three. That is just core. It's just massively, massively key. Those environments, it may well be in your small group that you can, oh yeah, there's someone there. Actually, I feel like that. And I'd love to just 
just ask them to disciple me or, or maybe you could put, you know, invest in someone and, and start discipling them. But I would ensure that there are regular times where there's that intimacy of the one-on-one relationship which really does breed a real vulnerability. Almost there, M, model. It's so key that if you're doing the discipling, you are totally honest about your lack of perfection. So what we're trying to do is, is get people to see the genuine high expectations that God has for Christians. He wants Christians who are free from sin, who are living in joy, living in purity. But there's a difference between us together looking at the, the standard that God wants us to go for and me looking down saying, come on you, you're rubbish. There's something about us modelling our own struggles, our own dark days, as well as actually modelling the times where we've seen breakthrough. I think the emphasis in the New Testament is to imitate. Imitate, don't innovate. It's not about having new, crazy, funky ideas all the time. Paul just says, imitate me, imitate me, imitate me. So, so much of my time increasingly is at different settings in my week. I will mentally be imitating someone I really respect. Different guys who I think in this setting, I've seen that they handle themselves so well. They're just really good. And this, Lord, help me to be like them. And that is so biblical. I would so encourage you. Of course, ultimately, we're imitating Jesus. But he has installed, you see in Scripture, this wonderful, this wonderful, you know, Paul saying to, 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 to Timothy, imitate me. He was confident that there was enough of God's goodness in him that he was saying, you know, look at the way I handle myself. Look at the way I handle my finance and my prayer life and the different things. And, and, and just copy me. Copy me in those ways. Finally, E. E. Your everyday walk. For me, uh, the number one thing I come back to is how is your own personal walk with Jesus Christ going? For me, that particularly looks like what are your times like in the morning? And I wouldn't want to be too prescriptive and say it's you've got to be someone who gets up the first, you know, first thing in the morning and I would have to say, though, you know, I can sleep for England, all right? I love sleep. But I just, my logic is this. Surely, it's really important if I'm going to live a whole day where I'm going to be making lots of decisions, surely it's really key that I've got as much of Jesus before I start my day than waiting until the, the evening or something. So I would encourage you to make that a key element when you meet. How is your time? Are, are you someone who is learning to just self-feed? The amount of Christians who have never got to actually grips with just one day, every day, taking one verse and learning to use it to meditate on who God is and, and who they now are. And actually, things like developing that and a simple prayer life are absolutely cool. So... There's some just very simple ideas that um, I hope are vaguely helpful for you. I know when my mum and dad, um, who are in their 60s now, my dad's been preaching for, I think, 35 years. He, about four years ago, he said, I know this, what you're talking about, this model, this, this intimate thing, I've missed completely. And actually, I want to start discipling guys, and my mum similarly. But they said, give me a model. Give me some way to get started. And I hope what I've given you there is some help in terms of a framework, both in terms of if you're being discipled, what you might want to expect, but also um, if you're wanting to step out in discipleship. But uh, Josie's also just going to share some of her ways that she's found herself discipling others. Let's welcome Josie as she jumps up. Hello, everybody. Um, I hope I'm not just going to repeat lots of what Tom has just said, because that was just so fantastic. But I just wanted to give um, a little bit of testimony about how I've been discipled over the years and how I go about discipling girls uh, now. So I arrived in Canterbury 15, 16 years ago as a student. Um, I'd grown up in church and I was a strong Christian, but I don't think I knew what the word discipleship meant or had had anybody or sought out anybody to stand alongside me or challenge me in my walk with God growing up. Um, so I came to Canterbury and I was hungry for God, but I was also quite confused about kind of the way forward. What did I really believe as an individual? I was outside of my family, the church I'd grown up in. What was I going to go for as, um, as a Christian student? And um, 
I was so amazingly blessed to have an amazing student worker who came alongside me and encouraged me and um, did everything really Thomas just said. She was fantastic. She challenged me. She taught me about the Bible and got alongside me. And um, I was able to meet with her quite regularly because I was a student. I had lots of time. And um, yeah, it was a really important time for me. I can remember things she said to me that I didn't like and didn't like her for a few weeks and tried to avoid her and um, challenged me about things like drinking, about flirting, about how I use my time. And um, yeah, it was a really important time for me. As um, I've gone on in my time in Canterbury, um, after uni, um, as a working woman, um, different people got alongside me and supported me in my job. And um, I worked at a women's refuge, worked with vulnerable women. I needed people that I could confide in, that I could download with, I could really pray about situations with. Um, as I thought about who I was going to marry and what kind of husband I wanted, I, I prayed with um, different women about that. And, and people got alongside me and spoke into my life. And um, I really valued that. And I've always been somebody who's really sought that out, even though it's not always easy um, hearing things about yourself you don't always want to hear. Um, as I've become a mum, I've got three little girls. Um, it has just been vital to me that I've had older women who um, know what it's like to be a mum, um, just stand alongside me, encourage me, um, just help me in some of the challenges of being a mum and still remaining a Christian <laughs> and having any time at all to, to spend reading my Bible and pray, but just to be with me and support me through the stage of having young children. So, yeah, it's been just fantastic having just specific women at different times throughout my time here. And those women are not perfect. They, they wouldn't say they're perfect. I've seen them go through many different trials themselves. And I've been able to watch how they've dealt with those things through the good, you know, good and the bad. But it's just been such a blessing to me. And as I've prepared this week, I've just thought, wow, those women have invested in me. And I so value the time they have taken out of their busy lives some of them are doctors and um, teachers and they have just been just brilliant at giving me their time I'm at a stage now where I don't have kind of one person who I meet up with but um, I kind of value the input of lots of my friends of different ages who I really ask to speak into my life and um, when we're at conferences and things like that I really seek out um, women who have husbands who lead churches like Tom so that I'm able to just yeah hear their experience and have them speak into my life as well it's something that I so value um, yeah, so over the years, I've also had the opportunity to disciple um, women. Um, after uni, I uh, became a student worker in Canterbury. And, um, and yeah, that was just such a challenge for me. I know some of you are probably sitting here thinking, I have got nothing to offer. If people really knew what my supposed quiet times were like, no one would ever want to meet up with me. And I think that was definitely how I felt and can still feel now. Um, but I was thrown into meeting up with lots of girls, obviously with supporting students. Often it's just as much about the practical, loving them and feeding them and spending time with them and inviting them into your home, just as much as it's about the spiritual. And um, I loved that. And I, I loved chasing uh, students to get them here. But I also loved just helping them to really value that I was putting time into them and helping them understand that they should be chasing me and they could text me too and they could actually be responsible for that relationship as I put time into them um, yeah and that was a yeah it's just been such a blessing over time I've sort of met up with lots of different women within the church and um, I've discipled people who are older than me as well as people who are physically younger than me um, I don't think it's really about age I think you can have something to offer somebody even if you're a few years younger than them. Um, as Tob said, it can be about recognising something in somebody else that you really want to grow in and really seeking them out to spend time with them. Um, I've gone through really challenging times um, in my time while I've been discipling others. And I think uh, definitely there is a real desire to pull back when you go through challenges in your own life, when you are questioning things. But I am so pleased that I have carried on maybe not in the same way, but carried on spending time with lots of the girls I see. 
because I think it's been really important for them to see that I'm completely human and vulnerable and I struggle too. And actually, hopefully for them to have walked through some of those things with me and maybe for them to have been supporting me a bit as well, it'd be a two-way thing, I think has been really important. So don't feel if you're just going through a really busy time or a really challenging time that you should just back off and you know, they, they're not, you're not any used to them anymore. You really can be through those times. And actually, us being honest about our weaknesses can really help those people we're discipling to be really honest and weak with us. So please be real with other people um, as well as really challenging them. So um, Tom had 10 points. I have three points about how I disciple people. Um, I have met up with lots and lots of different types of people in different life stages over the years. So I think it's often quite different in terms of how regularly I see people or where I see people. Um, but I try to always really make it count. If I've got two hours with somebody, they're going to walk away feeling challenged from God about something in their lives, about what's going on. We will have prayed, hopefully, if we haven't chatted too much. But I think, you know, I want it to count. So I always try to stick to three key ingredients when I meet up with people. Um, the first being care. I think you have to earn the right to speak into somebody's life. You have to know what's going on in their life. So I think it's so important to chat. I don't mind chatting, quite like chatting, but I think you need to know what's going on in their lives. You can't launch into this is what the Bible says. You need to know what's going on. If they've got moderation at school that week and they're stressed out, they're a teacher, I think you need to know about that. You need to be praying with them about that. If they're going through different stresses with their family, it's just so important to be talking about that and be really standing alongside them with that. So the talking and caring for them and supporting is just so important. Um, I think particularly in times of crisis, I have just, you know, I've run after people. If, you know, if they're going through a real challenge, if things are hard, I'm going to be the one texting them. I'm going to be looking out for them and, you know, going around their house, making it as easy as possible for them to have somebody alongside them. Um, secondly, so we've got care. Secondly, accountability. I think discipleship is about growth. And I believe that you grow through letting people into the things your weak spots, really. So when I first start meeting up with somebody, I try to ask them, what are the questions that you want me to ask you? What are the things that you want to grow in? What are the things that you know are maybe stumbling blocks for you at the moment? Things that are a challenge. So I will regularly ask them those questions. And I know that's what I want from the people who look out for me. I want those people to be people who will ask me maybe the more difficult questions that I don't want people to ask me. So, um, so I really try to... Yeah, go for the accountability in a big way because I think that's how we grow. That's how we're stretched. doesn't mean they're always going to be perfect. I don't want them to lie. Um, <laughs> but I think I want to make sure I'm hitting the things which are really an issue. And then thirdly, challenge. Um, I think when you're in this kind of relationship, there has to be challenge. And um, we can be scared of people not liking us. We want to be um, liked by the people that we meet up with and so I found the best way to challenge people is through the Bible so if you're going through a book of the Bible with somebody that are bound to be challenging verses that come up uh, things that I probably wouldn't have the guts to say to somebody the Bible will say to them so if we're going through a book of the Bible there's bound to be something that comes up every time I meet up with somebody and I can say oh what do you think about that? Do you think that applies to that situation? I know I've struggled with that. Do you struggle with that? And I've definitely found going back to the Bible with people is, is the key. I'm not going to have the answer to every problem, but the Bible is going to point them back to Jesus and um, is going to give them um, the answers. And um, I've also found looking at Christian books with people, there's loads of amazing um, books out there and there's lots of books that have really um, amazing kind of questions at the end of each chapter which again will ask questions that maybe I might be a bit scared to ask but will help us to look at the real issues. Um, yeah so as Tom said I think speaking the truth in love to people is so important. I know I can remember all the things that people who've discipled me have said which have really spoken, spoken truth. I know I might not have liked them at the time, but um, those things are the things which have really shaped my life and changed me. Um, as I was preparing this, I really felt, just to bring a little bit of a challenge, I think we're in 
uh, quite a young church. And I know I've gone through times where I've kind of moaned about not having a spiritual mother or father. And I think, you know, we can, we can moan about that. But there are amazing Christians, amazing peers around us who can challenge us. And I think often we use the kind of there's no older people, there's no one who wants to get alongside me as an excuse because we don't actually want to be challenged. And I think, you know, ask somebody, ask a friend, ask someone from your small group who you know isn't shockable, is going to stand alongside you and who is going to be committed to you. I think they're the key things. So, yeah, I just say invite discipleship in your life. Who could you be honest with? Who would you like to be more like? I was going through um, a season a couple of years ago, didn't feel that there was anybody who had this role in my life. And um, God really spoke to me about my friend Sarah Davis, who I just love the way that she loves Jesus. I love her worshipful heart. And that's something I really want to grow in. I'm a bit of a doer. And I struggle more with the worship side of things at times because I rush on to the doing. And I, God just spoke to me that I should spend more time with her. And we try to meet up now every couple of months and ask each other key questions. It's more of a two-way thing, but it's just so key in my life. So invite discipleship and also be thinking about who you could disciple. We all can do it. None of us are perfect. None of us are there. We're never going to be. But we can all get alongside people and ask people key questions and love people and support people. Thank you. Wow. Fantastic. I, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can think of anything that's more just rewarding in this life than seeing someone uh, emerge as something of a spiritual son or daughter or younger brother or younger sister. It's just an amazing experience to see someone that you in some way have encouraged and challenged and drawn alongside flourish and grow. And I want to be really honest with you. My fear is as we have grown and grown and grown, we could easily be a church that just comes, maybe even goes to a small group, but doesn't intentionally say, what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28 is, if I'm a disciple of Jesus, I am designed now to make disciples. All Christians are designed to have the joy of having someone who would say, yeah, at that stage in my life, that person, from a human point of view, was the number one reason why I grew. And it's almost like sometimes as Christians, it's, it's a really weird thing to think when we meet God, I think a huge thing he's going to say is, how did you get on in making disciples? How did you get on in terms of actually raising spiritual sons and daughters? And it's possible to be a Christian and, and think that to be a Christian means I believe things and I go somewhere, but not actually realize that God yearns for us to be those who draw many up into increasing spiritual sonship and daughtership. It's a bit like saying, I'm a baker but I've never actually baked any bread. You're not a baker then. You see, to be a Christian means that you are someone who, who sees others come. Or to be, I'm a mother. How many kids have you got? Oh, none. You're not a mother then. And I, I honestly think that God wants, and, and this isn't, this isn't a, a rebuke, it's a loving encouragement that if, if the enemy can just get many of you to think, I'm just going to focus on my weaknesses, I'll never be able to invest in someone. I'm far too rubbish then he's won. I literally am captivated with a vision of hundreds of people believing, A, I can, I can be someone who in my own feeble, weak way at a human level, but I could be used to pour my life into someone else and help see them grow and flourish and mature. To take someone who doesn't even know Christ yet and to help them on their journey and to help someone who does know Christ to grow and to flourish. I am captivated with a vision of the potential of this church, of an army of men and women who say, do you know what, actually, I genuinely, I'm not just going to come and hide. I'm going to come and give myself deeply to a people. Give myself. And I am going to seek people out. You know, there is no system. Some of you go, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Where's the system? What, you know, I, I want a disciple. What do I do? 
There is no system apart from taking that hunger to either disciple or be discipled and say, Lord, give me the next step. Many of you are in small groups. I would say that is the perfect place to start. Who is it in your small group that you could pour your life into? Or who is it in your small group that you could say, look, I, I just love the way you pray or I love the way you do this. Could you, would you consider discipling me and taking that initiative? Listen, I promise you, if you take just a, a baby step, either to disciple or be discipled, I promise you, you will never look back. You will never look back. It is the greatest joy and it is the way that God has put in place seeing his, his, his family become a real family. Not just become a gathering of lots of people, but a real... Don't you want that? Don't you want that intimacy, that real sense of knowing one another and seeing each other grow and grow and grow? I want you, when you meet your creator, to have both been totally blessed by many spiritual mothers and fathers, but also then naturally to pour it out into others. That's the way that Jesus modelled it. And that's the way we will actually see a nation genuinely impacted. It's through that. So let's stand to our feet. We've got a few minutes left. The band are going to come back. They're going to lead us in some sung worship to finish our time together. We're going to break bread. There's a couple of tables over on my left and your right. And there's a table up here on my left at the front. So it might get a little messy, particularly in this block over here. You might just have to kind of crash through people. But that's fine. And if you haven't had a chance to give to the building uh, project yet and you want to, there's um, some, uh, some boxes at the front here, which would be great. Lord, let's just open up our hands. Let's just be before our God. Lord, we just say, Lord, we recognize that you are a God who models something for us to run after. And we say, Jesus, take us, Lord, and lead us ever increasingly into following after you. Lord, I pray that you will give us such a sense of joy in the next step. Joy for the next step. Whatever that is for some here, for all of us, I pray there will be joy in the next step. Lord, as we break bread and we think about your body broken, not just to make, you know, churchgoers, but disciples. As we drink your blood, Lord, we were reminded of the seriousness of following after you and needing all the help we can get. Lord, as we do this, Lord, we pray, lead us on, not individually, but together as your family. In Jesus' name, amen.